Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Mistaken Identity Podcast with David and Frank. Uh, David is here, and we're ready to roll, right, David? Yes, sir. So I'm doing some uh, work remotely and um, just trying to get things taken care of. Um, I got another computer going on, so you guys like forgive me if you can't get like the, the best uh, audio from me, but you know, I'm doing well, man, and I got to do a shout-out real quick. Hold on. I got to crack this. So look at this. You guys, I'm trying to hold it up as best as I can for the members that have the video version. This is the Mistaken Identity dog chain. This thing is awesome, man. I love it. And uh, just got it a few days ago. Or no, two days ago. So thank you, Frank. I appreciate it. And we're ready to rock and roll. How you doing today, my friend? I am great. Uh, a little bit nervous because I've got somebody that I met five years ago at a, a religious, I hate, the, I hate the word religious, at a, at a faith-based conference who I met five years ago uh, who I followed on Facebook then, uh, not knowing that five years later, um, I would need her for a podcast. Like who, who knew that would, that would happen? So, uh, I got a nervous excitement going on, um, <laughs> because it's like, it all came to pass. Uh, let me bring her on now. And uh, we're going to send her a dog chain too, if she wants one, but, uh, everybody say hello to, uh, I love this title, by the way, her, uh, she's called the hope dealer and her name is Amy Williams. Amy, welcome. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. And yes, I do want one of those dog tags. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we will definitely uh, make sure you get one. They're pretty popular. and uh, I didn't really care for them, but David has maybe seen how popular they are. So I need to um, get back into those things. Those are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm so excited things. to be here with you guys. I love those things, man. And uh, for the audience, if, if you guys like subscribe to the podcast, you guys get like cool like fun stuff like that. So just make sure that you guys subscribe to the, the Patreon and you guys can get all this wonderful merchandise that we got that we got here and we got great content for you guys. So um, Amy, thank you for being here. We appreciate you and thanks for being on again. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Uh, yes. And as, as David said, uh, if you have $3, just $3 to uh, donate to content like this, if you like this kind of content, uh, just $3 donation of patreon.com slash mistaken identity podcast. And uh, we actually send out uh, those kind of swag items in the mail. Um, but let's go to it. Today is actually uh, George, George Floyd Day is what I call it here uh, in the U.S. And uh, so, Amy, any thoughts to, you know, we're going to jump right into fire. Any thoughts on and reflections on George Floyd Day? I mean, I've been thinking about it all day. I cannot believe that it has been a year and it seems like it's been longer. And yet it seems like it was just yesterday that that happened and rattled our country. And I'm very thankful for George Floyd's life. I'm thankful for what um, his death has meant to us and the power behind it uh, and everything that has stirred, stirred us up again. Um, to have those conversations and to really take a look at ourselves and just say, we're still not there yet. We still have a long way to go. So just really been thinking along those lines of how impactful his life has been to our community. Um, I'm so 
and awe that I, who are guests of today. I forgot to do the intro and the title. So um, uh, can you tell us, because you have a long list of accomplishments and titles and positions. Can you let us know um, uh, just a, what you're doing, uh, what, who you're working with, working on behalf of? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Amy Williams. And like you said, I'm a hope dealer to the dope dealer. So they sling dope and I sling hope. And what that means and what that looks like is I've been doing youth. You like that, David? You like that? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and what that looks like is I've been doing youth ministry for 27 years uh, this year will be 27 years that I've been working with high risk young people in gangs and in the juvenile justice uh, system. And in addition to that and, and walking life with young people and mentoring, have had the incredible opportunity to speak and train across the country, other youth leaders as we raise up a generation that also is coming from the streets, leading in the streets and becoming the voice of this generation trying to help out a lot of, a lot of lost young men out there. Uh, which is right up my alley. So this is going to be a uh, uh, great now. Um, so we, um, as our listeners know, uh, our podcast, Mistaken Identity, um, it looks at the personal lives of the staff that work at uh, Wrigley Field because uh, people see them as an usher and just security, but they're moms and daughters and they are lawyers and teachers and doctors uh, in their personal lives. Uh, so our podcast actually sheds a light a light on what they do in their personal lives. So uh, we decided this week, though, to do a, a series called uh, Cultural Conversations yeah. because uh, we believe that we should be able to have respectable conversations about politics, race, and religion. Absolutely. And still be able to work together and still be able to be friends. Um, and I know you've heard some of it. Uh, and... I thought it was important that we, you know, talk about race. We always tend to talk about only African-Americans. And I thought it was important that we um, look at all races, yes. not just uh, African-Americans. I know you work heavily with um, uh, young people in juvenile detention of all races. So I want to start there. Can you tell us what it, why did you decide to work with uh, young people from juvenile detention and what is that like? You know, I think that's always an interesting question when people say that you decided when the truth is, I feel like the Lord decided for me because nobody signs up to do this work. There's not a lot of a long line of people who are like, let me work with gang members. Let me work with murderers. Let me work with, you know, kids who are in the prison system. So I always feel like that it's my passion and God that brought me to this position and this role. I grew up with my best friend, my baby brother, and he himself was involved in gangs and the criminal justice system. But I was so young that I couldn't do anything about it. And so now I feel I have the resources, I have the connections, I have the passion to be able to help as many young people as I can that find themselves in this position. And a lot of times society tends to just overlook them and just and just have no no kind of care for them. And I, I love to go for the underdog. I love to go for those that are on the margins and, and cheer for them and give them what they need to, to prove society wrong. And so it just seemed to be a natural fit that I would just fall into this line of work when I moved to Chicago, because we know Chicago 
well known for their gangs, their gang affiliations, and unfortunately for the crime rates that we deal with. So this is fertile, fertile ground, and there's a lot of work to be done. And I'm just, I'm trying to change the hood one kid at a time. That's all I can do. <laughs> now, Amy, that's, uh, it's interesting that you brought that up because we just had a great conversation yesterday with um, someone that Frank mentors and had some issues and, you know, it was so wonderful that we had that, that interaction and that recording. I want to talk to you about how, well, let me, let me get my words right. I, I, how do you, like, are you nervous going into an interaction with somebody that's affiliated with gangs and things of that nature? I, you know, the weird thing is, and I, I know it sounds really weird, but I have never been nervous. Um, I'm the person that just feels, I'm the person that speaks to everybody, right? So if I'm walking down the street and I see somebody, I'm speaking to them. I'm from North Carolina. So, you know, you got that little Southern, uh, hey, how you doing? How y'all doing? Um, so it's always just been in me to see somebody and acknowledge them. I've never been nervous. I feel like this is what I'm called to do. And because I'm called to do it, I have everything that I need within me to make those conversations happen without the nerves. And you know, young people, they they know if you're nervous or not, and they will use that to their advantage. So I got to come in with a confidence of just being like, this is what I'm here for. I want to meet you. I want to know you. And I see you. And so, no, no, I, I'm never nervous. You know, and to piggyback from that, so I worked at um, La Costa Norte for a few years with mm-hmm. there, uh, the homeless, um, one of many homeless shelters in Chicago for youth. And um, people used to ask me, you know, because there was, you know, the, the, the idea that people that live on the street are rough. Yeah. You know, are you, um, you know, 150 pounds on a good day? You know, are you uh, nervous or whatever? And actually, I was not nervous. And, I, and they could sense that I was not nervous. And I will say this, though, to this day, I'm not even there anymore, but to this day, um, I made such good relationships with them that if anybody ever bothered me, they would hurt them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what happens with my boys. They're like, you ain't messing with mama Amy. You ain't messing with my big sister, you know? I yeah. mean, and there's wisdom in it. If yeah. I see 15 guys hanging out selling drugs, I'm not just going to walk up and be like, hey, y'all, how you doing, right? Yeah. Like, there's wisdom in when to speak and when to have those interactions. But, yeah, my boys don't play when it comes to me either. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> in most cases. I right, had one right, case yeah. where I had a situation. They're like, Amy, we know where he lived. You want us to roll up on his house and take <laughs> care of it? And I was like, oh, wow. you know... I love and appreciate that you love me that much <laughs> because I understand that's their language, right? Like that's their language. That's part of their language. Um, so, but I had to shut that down real quick, but I also wanted to let them know that I saw that they cared enough for me uh, to be able to take care of me if I needed it. But we shut that down real quick. Yeah. I had a, I had a Christmas party one time and uh, at the Christmas party, why we did this, I don't know, but there were several homeless youth centers at this Christmas party, uh, which would, they should have never done, two different. But anyway, so a fight broke out between one of our biggest guys, like one of our biggest guys, one of their biggest guys. Um, so I go over to try to talk some sense into our guy, at least, that, uh, you know, we can, um, uh, you know, end it and let's go. So the opposite guy, like, who are you or whatever, went towards me and all, like, 
that made it even worse. I'm like, oh, great. So, yep, yep. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so they are, once once they see that you respect them, uh, because a lot of them don't have family, so you become family, and they will defend family to the death. Like, yeah. this is the one person, you're not going to touch that person at all. So I understand totally. Exactly. And even with those that don't have families, their gangs are their family, right? right. And so they will they will stand up for their boys as much as they will stand up for their mama as well. So respect is is completely and totally the name of the game. Yeah, and uh, so David, David, go ahead, David. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just gonna say that was the fact that they it's it's something about the affiliation that makes it so you know we with those guys and they stand together. But I applaud both of you. And frankly, if I'm not mistaken, did didn't you do like something with like uh, mental health also, like at an institution or something like that? Yeah, but I, I, and I will say anybody that's living on the street, they're all in need of a matter of fact. Even I need sometimes but yeah so all, all of them oh. that live on the street that work with youth um they were all in need of some type of uh mental health um i think the youngest the average in chicago the average age of homeless youth is like 10 is the average of chicago um oh that's heartbreaking yeah a lot of people don't know that that's the average age you know of a homeless youth um in the city but they all need some time you know living on the street when you have no rules and you're always searching for survival uh you do things that uh the average person is like, that's crazy. Why are you doing that? But you're doing it for survival and then you get caught and then you get arrested and then you're in this cycle. And I've learned that some, some of them want to get arrested just to have a place to sleep. That's another story for another day, but. Right. That, that's uh, very true. Right. Uh, so they make choices that make, they make choices that we wouldn't make. And I, I learned from there not to judge anybody. Like I learned. Yeah. I always say, if you knew the stories of these young men and women you would not blame them for the situation that they have found themselves in. Yeah. I We can sit here and we can look at a gang member and we can judge them all day. But if you don't know their story of abandonment, trauma, abuse, uh, hunger, survival, I mean, we can't judge them until we hear their stories. And the thing is, a lot of gang members are nonviolent as well. They're just looking for community, looking for a way to make some money. But we just make all of these assumptions without knowing the history and shame on us for that. Um, so David, David alluded to uh, earlier, uh, we did an episode yesterday. Uh, I've heard it so much, I forgot what I did. But we did an episode yesterday uh, with a young person that 15 years ago, uh, he was the first one I ever mentored and got close to the first one ever, 15 years ago. Uh, but something happened and he ended up um, making some bad choices. And uh, I had not seen him in uh, 15 years. Went to prison, went to jail. Um, but ironically, uh, somebody that knew me, he overheard them talking about saying my name. And oh, wow. uh, so he was like, wait a minute, you got to put me back in contact with him. And uh, so we had our re- our 15 year reunion on the podcast. So um, I saw him for the first time. He saw me for the first time here on the podcast, which is what David was uh, uh, referring to. Uh, and one of the things that I told him was that um, he, he's so he was so smart. He's still so smart now. Matter of fact, he has his own business, by the way. Oh uh, wow! See, resilient. Yeah, he didn't fit into. He tried to go to the regular way. He didn't fit into a nine to five job. And what I told him on the podcast was. A lot of times society has this box that they want you all to fit in. And when you don't fit into the box, you consider trouble. And then when you consider trouble, you're going to be into this um, 
this prison complex thing that's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and look, he's coming out of it. He came out of it, and now he has his own business. So he was never really a problem. He just didn't fit in the box. Good for uh, him. I was wondering, yeah, so I was wondering if you, so if you, I was wondering if you could talk about um, you know, mass incarceration and what some of the issues are just around uh, taking kids and just locking them up. Yeah, absolutely. So the thing about mass incarceration is that the United States incarcerates more people than any other country in the world right? We are only 5% of the global population, but we house 25% of the inmate population. That is a really huge problem. And when it comes to young people, we have a million young people that uh, yearly get involved in the justice system that are arrested. And half of those actually serve some sort of time in the system. And so when we, and most of that is for nonviolent behaviors, right? And so what we're doing is we're putting young people into prison systems that re-traumatize them, that cause more trauma. And actually it has been proven that when you put young people into those kind of environments, it doesn't rehabilitate them. It actually makes them more prone to criminal behaviors. And so we as a country love, love, love to lock up people. Uh, We love to be able to just say it's a problem, lock them away. But we don't focus on rehabilitation. We focus more on the punitive kind of aspect of punish them, punish them. And what we're doing is not only punishing them, but creating and causing more trauma. And so I have the blessed privilege to work with young people who are in the justice system right now. Uh, provide restorative justice programming, everything from art classes to peace circles to Afro-Cuban drumming to theater, uh, lots of different types of programs to be able to help young people to see themselves, to be able to take accountability for their actions and hopefully not re-traumatize them, but give them safe spaces and positive adults to just love on them and walk with them and help them through the one of the darkest, darkest times of their life. You had a question, David? Uh, no, I was just going to say that's the most important thing is love on people. And, and you hit that the nail right on the head. And that's something I always talk about on the podcast. And I can I, I, I agree 1000%. That's the, that's exactly what you need to do with people. And, you know, I've been crying all day. So I mean, the story from yesterday just made me like, it just made me so emotional, made me so, I'm going to do it again. Stop, David. Yeah. But anyway. So, <laughs> I, I, yeah, get it, 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 I get it. I get it. You know what? And, and for them not talking in 15 years, it, it makes it even more special. You know, when somebody else is like reaching out and, and trying to connect those dots together and, and say, hey, you know what? Hey, we're going to start right now. We're going to start over. Doesn't matter. Let's not talk about the past. Let's go and move forward. Let's do this. And and that's the that's the thing. You you spoke on that. So, you know. I, and that's I such a beautiful that. thing because a lot of us don't get to see 15 years later. Yeah. Right. A lot of us invest in the lives of young people and we never know how it turns out. And, you know, we have to be okay with that. One of the most heartbreaking things for me is walking life and loving on a young person and then he goes home. And you're happy he's going home, 
but you're sad that you may never see him again. Um, and so there's that that tension, you know, that you're you're always loving them and excited for them, but heartbroken yourself that you don't get the 15 years later all the time. Um, you know, somebody uh, messaged me and it was innocent. They messaged me. I, they, it was an innocent question. But for a minute, I was, uh, they got a non-Christian answer for a second till I caught myself. <laughs> oh, that happens daily for me. What are you talking uh, yeah. about? <laughs> That's uh, a daily occurrence. Yeah, so the last four years have tested me, but on media. <laughs> but um, so, you know, they had asked me, uh, you know, uh, why can't we get, why can't we stop all this shooting that is going on on the uh, South and West sides? And uh, now they lived in a very nice nice suburb suburban mm-hmm. area mm-hmm. um and uh they had they had posted the comment under a story that fox news did about the war in chicago and uh and you know how bad it was and what was going on and um you know probably my, written by somebody who doesn't live in chicago as well uh, mm-hmm. right and right. Uh, so my my initial response was you know not good but then i had to um you know get back okay this is i gotta sure. do it <laughs> and i'm trying to i was trying to look at it from this person's point of view first of all and they're they live in a suburban area uh probably you know the police are great to them probably mm-hmm. carry their groceries you know they live in a great neighborhood they might not have to lock any doors at all so in their mind uh in their mind of course they don't understand uh why Every neighborhood can't be like their neighborhood. Right. However, uh, I was trying to explain to them that this is the rich. This is supposedly the richest country in the world. Therefore, the Austin neighborhood should not look one way, and Wrigleyville look the complete opposite. Facts. Yes. to make it yes. equal, the schooling equal. The right. Food equal, the grocery store equal. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have this problem. If you go outside and see vacant lots all day, every day, there's no hope there. If I go up to Lakeview and see new trees planted every three weeks, right. I have hope. I have something to look for. Um, so what what is what are your thoughts about uh the shootings and the violence that is going on in these neighborhoods and how we're we're really we know the answers, but we're just not doing them. Not us, but I mean, yeah, I think you you hit on a key word, hope. And Father Greg Boyle of Homeboy Industries, which is the largest gang intervention ministry in the country out in Los Angeles, said that there is a lethal absence of hope in our young people and our communities. We have uh, the money that is needed to be uh, funded in our communities we have that money is just not going to our communities. It is there. People make happen what they want to happen in this city, right? So let's let's just put that out there. We are just not funded in our communities. Our schools aren't being funded. Mental health care is not being funded. We don't even have grocery stores in our communities. We got mom and pop shops that have to charge $5 for a gallon of milk because there's not a grocery store within five miles of somebody's residence, right? I mean, there's systemic racism involved. Our communities are over-policed, right? So that leads to mass incarceration. 
Wrigleyville and Naperville and Skokie and these beautiful neighborhoods are not being policed as much as our community. Yet the facts show that white people and black and brown people do the same amount of drugs, the same amount of time. They're just not policed as much as our communities. And so that, that's systemic racism right there. Point blank period. Why are you always watching us instead of watching everybody? Right. Um, there's a lot of money to be made in the prison system. There's a lot of money to be made in the private prison systems. Um, so there's also that there are so many reasons. Violence is just a symptom, right? It's not the problem. There is a root issue and violence is the language that is being played out when a community is screaming for help. That what it, what is it? That's the language of the oppressed. Violence is not the problem. Police are not going to solve this problem for us. Police are designed to do what they do. They police. They are not meant to be in our schools. They're not meant to be uh, counselors or, or any of those kind of things. Police do not need to be in our schools, you guys. And that is just another school to prison pipeline, part of the school to prison pipeline. I uh, know there aren't many police in a lot of the suburban schools. Why are there only police in our urban communities? So there are so many things, so many reasons, but I just want people to know that violence is a symptom. It's not the problem. If we eliminated violence, our root issues would still be there. They would still be there and we would find another way to scream out about that. Very devastating. I have buried so many of my young people. Uh, I've been to way too many funerals to count and I'm tired and I'm tired and I'm hurt and our communities are bleeding, y'all. They are bleeding and we need to listen to what they need. Nobody's really listening. Everybody thinks they have a solution, but nobody's talking to the people. The people that have the solution are the people that are uh, living in that situation. So why aren't we talking to them and having them be the solution, the very solution to fixing our communities? So one of the things that I always hear from people uh, when I bring up these issues and they say that, uh, well, this is the greatest country in the world. Like people just work hard uh, and they just do what they're supposed to do. They will make it and they will be better. Uh, nobody is gonna hand anything to you. Now, I, I, I agree on a certain mm -hmm. extent to certain people, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody like me, yes, I agree. If I just choose to lay on the couch, well, before I was, you know, investing and making money, but if I just choose to sit on the couch, <laughs> in my, but in my situation, if I if I choose to not work one day and do whatever, then I deserve what comes to me because of my situation. But my situation, and I have to understand my privilege, uh, is not the same as somebody else's situation. So right. when you hear uh, Amy people say about, you know, people they just, they just want a handout, they just want. You know, they need to just work hard and things will get better. Uh, do you get as angered as I do by that? Or, you know. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that whole thing about pick yourself up by your bootstraps. What if you don't have any bootstraps? What if you don't have any money to Ooh. buy bootstraps? What I are you going to do then? I love it. Right. Love what it. are you going to do then? And, and we're not talking about generational poverty here. Right. We're, I mean, we are talking about generational poverty. We're talking about so many reasons why, I mean, and don't get me wrong. There are people that take advantage of the system. 
right? Shame on them. There are people that are that way. But a majority of people want to work. A majority of people don't want to live in poor conditions. They want to have good schools. They want to see their kids thrive. They want to see their communities thriving without gentrification, right? Like they want that for themselves and their families. But a lot of people don't know how to access resources. And unfortunately, there are very few resources to access and so everybody is like the crab in the barrel trying to get their hands on those resources while, you know, instead of it being plentiful and it can be plentiful for everybody that needs that. So, yeah, when you when you tell me everybody can do it, you know, go, go sit down somewhere with that, because, you know, that's just that I just feel like that is so disrespectful to say something like that until you know somebody's story. I'm going to keep saying it. Until you know somebody's story, you cannot lump everybody together. So my my response to that usually is, well, when's the last time that you spoke to a poor person about that? Right. What would they say? People make assumptions, but never talk to anybody in those communities about those situations. And so these are just a bunch of outside assumptions. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just like. <laughs> I'm just on fire right now <laughs> with that question because I see people who really want to get out of that situation and just cannot seem to do it. They do not have the help or the access, and we don't have those resources in our communities. I'm I'm, I'm so glad that you said that because it's so vital that people understand that and, and get that through their heads. Like, you know, you got to... You, you, you can't, I mean, like, you're taking us to church right now, so I love it. So, <laughs> I have to cry again. I've been crying all day. That's okay. I got you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you spoke, and that's exactly what I was trying to to say to the audience is that, you know what, hey, you don't know this person. You don't, you can't judge somebody. You got to keep right. moving on. You got to move forward. If, if somebody makes a mistake, Move on from that mistake. If they, if they really, if they truly, genuinely are apologetic and they're trying to get through that situation, then you gotta, you gotta give them, you gotta give them love for that. And that's, that's yeah. just me personally. I, I, I accept that. And the whole thing about yesterday again is gonna make me cry again. But you know, I loved it. You know, it's, it, I can't, I can't even put it into words. It's, it's well, so you know, amazing. I think, I think we've gotten to the point where it's they and them, when it should be we and us. We are in this together. These are our children. I don't care if you live on the North side, those South side children are your children as well. We, it's, it's we and us. We have to stop doing the they and them. And the whole thing about teaching, uh, what, is, what is the quote about, you can teach a man to fish and he'll eat for, no, you can give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. You yeah. can teach a man to fish and he'll live longer. Yeah, right, right. But we never talk about, but who owns the pond that they're fishing in, wow. right? Have you given this man the equipment that he needs? How many fish is he allowed to take home with him, right? So it's all of these things that we don't think about, and we put a lot of responsibility on the individual when this is really a community issue. Yes, the individual has responsibility. Yes, a lot of individuals can make it out of that. But we are a community. And they say, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, 
go together. And we need to go far in Chicago. We need to be doing this thing together. Um, that, that is so true. Uh, and I, uh, so I want to, I want to, um, get to the really uncomfortable part and talk about politics and right? what, what role they play in all this. Um, now I have the, I have an unpopular opinion with people because I always say, uh, you know, for example, whether it's whoever, whoever the mayor is, people always, um, you know, say the, the problem is that mayor. And I have always wondered, you know, why and this is unpopular, but some aldermen have been in that in their neighborhood for 20, 30 years. Come on, come 20, 30 on. 30 years. And I'm just like, you know, the mayor changes every, you know, once in a while. But, uh, you know, I feel like we just don't really do a good job of holding everybody accountable. We sort of jump on right. where the popular person is right. of the year. But if you've been an alderman in a certain neighborhood on the south side, why can't you do what the alderman on the north side is doing or speak you know or i'm sure that the, the north side alderman is doing something that you know allows them to get their trash done and whatever and you know so why so that's just, that's just how it's unpopular but i just feel like politically everybody's not doing their job and they're getting away with it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i feel you on that i'm not a big political person but what I understand is the mayor always inherits, right? Inherits what they get. And then they just try their best to fix it. And in that, sometimes they create more <laughs> problems right. that the next mayor will inherit. Um, but you're right. I think we need to be hyper local, right? Like we need to be hyper um, in, in our communities and holding our aldermen accountable for, for what they are doing. And I don't know if they're having trouble getting access to money or resources or any of those things. I'm with you. Find out what they're doing on the north side. Like, let us know <laughs> something. Like, something has to break soon. Because, our like I said, our city is bleeding. And now it's bleeding into, because of gentrification, is bleeding into the suburbs. So now you have people in the suburbs who are freaking out and they're not ready. They're not ready. And so you're displacing gangs. You're taking one gang and putting them in another neighborhood where there's already a set gang. So of course, violence is going to erupt in the suburbs um, simply because of that displacement. So, you know, we, we, do need to hold our politicians accountable. We do need to press. We do need to be knocking on their doors, writing the letters, making the phone calls and figuring out what needs to be done and what power do they actually have to make that kind of impact in our communities. And if you don't like them, then vote. Yes. Go and get them out of office and put somebody else in there. It, I mean, it's worth a shot, a try. I, I'm ready to do anything different because what we're doing now is not working. Yeah, I, and I feel like politically, the last couple of years, uh, politics has been front and center now. Like before, you know, 10, 20 years ago, uh, we weren't fighting, as, at least in my opinion, we weren't fighting as much as we were. We didn't have to pick a side mm. automatically without listening, right? I feel like the last couple of years, politically, we have been forced, not we, but most of the country has been forced to pick a side. Absolutely. You stay on your side and you stay on your team, regardless of what the other person says. And now we're at a point in, in our government where um, we can't even agree on 
building roads and you got common things because now Simple you gotta things. pick a side. If you yeah. are on this side, right. you can't possibly help the Democrats win. Right. If you're on this side, you can't possibly help them win. So nobody wins, nothing is done, but we're the greatest country in the world. So right. I, it, it bothers me. <laughs> right, as it should, and as it, as it should bother everybody. I mean, this last year or two, we've seen nothing but division. And it's really heartbreaking because nothing can get done with that with that kind of division. Nothing can get done. Now, um, Amy, I think that the one thing that you spoke of again is it's like again you're taking us to church. I love it. So, it's so <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I think if everybody had that mentality, I think it would actually work out. It would be so awesome. I agree. I agree. Unfortunately, you know, we're crabs in a barrel. Yes, yes. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. We don't have the that unity. We don't have that common goal that we're all working towards. Uh, Chicago is not very well known for collaborating. And let me tell you something. I love Chicago. Nobody loves Chicago more than Chicagoans, right? Like we love us some Chicago, but we are not good at collaborating. (laughs) Um, I am blessed to work for an organization that understands and gets that. And what I've seen is organizations that are about unity and collaboration and working towards a common goal, they're able to make real impact. And so we, we need to have more, like you said, of that mentality. Sorry, guys, I had a special visitor here. Hi. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hey, hi. All right. Hey, hi. Um, I see her there back again. All right. Um, so, uh, Amy, now I, I, I talked about how uh, when, we, when we think about race and racism, we automatically just think about Blacks and African-Americans. Uh, we never look at any other race, you know, and I sort of feel like sometimes they're probably like, what about us? What about us? Absolutely. So uh, I know you work with a lot of uh, uh, Latino, actually youth of all uh, nationalities. Um, mm-hmm. So can you f- fill us in? Because I mostly live in my world with uh, where I'm at, up north with the Cubs. But um, can you fill us in what's going, in, going on in the city, like, you know, in, in the back of the yards or in, or, or in other areas that are urban but not Black? Uh, yeah. You know, and so um, in addition to living in on the West Side in the Austin community, I work my uh, organization works in Little Village, uh, which is a predominantly Mexican community. And I have come from Humble Park, which at the time was predominantly a Puerto Rican community. And so having the you know incredible opportunity to work with both. I'm actually biracial myself. My mom is white and my dad is black. But oh, everybody thinks I'm Puerto Rican, so I'm okay with being Puerto Rican. I'm sort of Rican. I'm not Puerto Rican. I'm sort of Rican. Um, and so a lot of my young people, yeah, they just adopt me as a sort of Rican. Say it again. Say it again? Yeah. I said, I'm not Puerto Rican. I'm sort of Rican. <laughs> And I love it. I love it. But being able to just be a part of all those communities and then the prison that I work for, we know prisons hold mostly black youth, juveniles hold black youth, uh, one in three um, 
people that are locked up are African-American, one in five are Latino and one in 17 are white. Um, so you can see the racial disparity just in that in and of itself. Um, but, you know, there's a, a lot that's going on in our Latino communities. There's a lot going on in our um, AAPI communities. There's a lot going on. And it does. It seems like that they're not getting the attention and the, the voice that is needed. And I think that's very sad. Um, but I, I understand that right now, just with the George Floyd case, you know, all of this attention and, and many of the police brutality cases have been black and white. Uh, but please don't forget about, you know, Latinos and their their struggles. And, and it's not just being undocumented. There's there are a whole lot of other issues. They deal with a lot of the same issues that we deal with. They're under resourced communities. They're marginalized. They don't have grocery stores in their communities either. I mean, we're we're walking the same fine line here and yet we fight against each other. And so. We need to not only find unity within our own community, which I think that's where it begins, but then realizing other communities are just like us and are struggling as well. And how can we come together? There's power in numbers. Oh my gosh, if we could just come together, we could take this city over. And what we know about Chicago right now is the predominant my, uh, majority minority are Latinos. It's not the, the black community, it's Latinos. So we have to look at that and how that is shaping the culture of our city and how it will in the future as well. So what were you thinking about when you saw the, uh, the, um, the peaceful protests in the city and then some of the non-peaceful protests that were going on over the summer last? What, what were you thinking about? Were you um, mentoring youth that were involved or were you involved? What, what were you thinking about during that whole social justice summer? in the middle of COVID. Oh man. Um, there was so much that, that I was thinking about and, and was involved in. And, and most, most of my involvement was giving young people a safe space to be able to share what they were thinking. Um, especially the young people in jail who didn't know what was going on and, and felt this, you know, young people, they, you know, they create movements. I mean, they started the civil rights movement, right? Like young people are the ones, even in the Bible, I mean, the, the um, the disciples were teenagers, right? And so if you do research, you'll see that they were teenagers. And so young people have this voice and, and want to speak and want to be heard. And so uh, I feel like a lot of what I did was that, but it made me incredibly exhausted and worn out. And, and not physically, but in my spirit, in my spirit because this isn't the first time something like this has happened, right? We've, we've experienced this a lot since way before, generationally. Our grandparents have shared with us what they've been through and, and we take that impact as well. And so I think the summer was, um, I needed to build a community around myself that I could walk with as we walk through this together. And it was very hurtful, very exhausting. Um, as far as like the riots and the looting and all of that kind of stuff, man, I, some of it I agree with, some of it I don't, but I completely understand. I'm, I'm in that stance of I understand and I get it. So they, people needed to be heard. People were not being heard. This is how they made their voices heard. And so totally got it, totally understood it. Um, I personally myself chose not to be part of some of that. 
um, just because, just because that was just wasn't my choice or my decision to do that. And I'm not about certain things when it comes to my community, but, um, but I understood it. I completely understood it. And I feel like there are different, there are different ways of, uh, uh, somebody told me that, uh, it's going to take many different forms of protest, not just one. Exactly. Get things done. So like, for example, I was not, uh, out in the street at all. Uh, but I thought that my contribution would be to start teaching people of color how to invest, how to start building. Oh, yes. Because that generational wealth will last them, their family and their family's family. And their yes. Family. So I've been on the, I've been on a rampage since George, George Floyd. I have a, have a new YouTube channel about investing for young people. Um, we're just starting, but so I feel like I am helping without being in the street, but right, exactly. Uh, there's many, many ways of protesting and getting involved. And uh, I just chose this, you know, let's, let's, we are, people of color in general are um, living in a world with capitalism, but are participating mm-hmm. in it because they have no idea of how to get started, <laughs> what to do. Exactly. Not knowing. I learned during this pandemic uh, that people in the market on Wall Street made so much money when the pandemic was going on, while the people who were not in the stock market were hurting and struggling. And wow. it was like night and day. And day, I believe. Night it. and day. And I thought to myself, wow, if only if schools would teach. <laughs> we live in a, the, the, the country is all based around capitalism. How yeah, exactly. Not, how could we not teach these people how to invest and be in the market? It's gotta be a plan somewhere why we're not doing that because it doesn't make any sense right there's exactly a plan for that there's exactly a reason why we're not teaching our young people that yeah because where the money is is where the power is so and um, we have the power that's the thing we do have the power we do have the money we we invest uh in nike and music and all of these clothing and and beauty supplies and we have the power we just need to learn how to use it in a way that enhances our community and our families. Yes. Not I, in a way that is just, it just disappears once it yeah, reaches our I, fingers. I've been, teaching, uh, I've been teaching young men, uh, when you buy those Jordan, you buy those Air Force Ones, take $10 and buy some Nike stock. Come on, come on. Yeah, because that will, one, in a couple of years, you get all your money back that you spent. But two, why are you making somebody else rich? And you're going to be struggling next week. Why not? I'm not saying don't buy the shoes. I'm saying take $10 and right. buy Nike stock. <laughs> right. It's yeah. a mindset. It's a oh, mindset. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, I don't buy anything unless I own part of the company. And I think we have to oh, start wow. owning stuff. You gotta, we have to start owning stuff. I agree. I agree. Uh, if you don't own anything, what can you pass on? Right. Oh, that is so awesome. I'm so glad you're doing that. Oh, yeah. So uh, uh, I had my YouTube channel, uh, Frank and Friends. Uh, it, if you never ever even knew, you don't even know how to add, you can learn how to be in the stock market. If you did bad in school, you can learn how to invest um, right from the beginning. So uh, uh, I didn't know I was going that way, but. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'm gonna have to share that with some of my young people uh, as well. Yes, yeah, so go ahead, That's David. You owe me then, so you, you gotta give me something too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, so, you, so we have a personal connection, right? <laughs> sure. <Back to> <laughs> sure. 
Sure. Um, but so with, with our final time here, I, I want to at least ask you, um, got to see what you think about sports in general. Now, do you watch the Cubs or the White Sox or not baseball and to basketball? Just for, just for See, how are you going to ask me that question? <laughs> There's only one answer to that question. <laughs> yes, I watch the Cubs. Yes, right. I do. Okay. Um, hey, Javi. Um, <laughs> yes, I watch the Cubs. I am a Cubs fan. But my, my real love is football, though. So um, that's that's where you'll you'll find me during football season. Don't mess with me on Sundays. Like yes. and Mondays and Thursdays and during you know I was so excited during COVID they was on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and it was great it was great and I'm a I'm a, a diehard Patriots fan diehard Patriots fan I was born and raised in New England so I've been a fan since I was a little girl so um, but yeah I love sports and I'm so thankful for the Cubs and and them being in Chicago and for everything that they do for our community as well right they're not just a team that plays sports they actually invest in our community so uh really really uh you know pleased about that I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes I, I get some pushback on the cup and some of it is deserved right and I'm gonna, say that. I'm, I'm gonna be honest and not lie but uh some of it is deserved but uh you have to look at the whole picture they do as much as they can. Matter of fact, some of the individual players on their own time. Right. Jason Hayward, my favorite. Um, uh, he wasn't even in Chicago during the summer because there, no, during the, because there was no games, but he came to Chicago, went to the West Side, um, I think off the block club, one of those places. He went to the West Side, talked to the police and youth, went to the West Side. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So I, I want, you know, I want people to uh, be educated before they start, you know, just saying. Right. Exactly. You know, North side, all bad. Um, every side has some bad in it. <laughs> but um, exactly. I don't like to paint everybody in the same brush. Like, I don't like to be considered a, a thug because I'm black. So, uh, you know, we don't want to paint everything on the north side, you know. Uh, right. And we don't want to say that the west and the south side are just these dilapidated neighborhoods. Right. There's so much life in right. the west side and the south side and so much culture and arts and it, it, I mean, it's so vibrant as well. Um, we just deal with with some issues that the North Side may not deal with, but man, our West and South Sides are beautiful, beautiful places as well. Now, this is going to sound bad. I'm, I'm prefacing this now, but when I moved to the North Side, I was in such, I was I had a, I had a um, withdrawal from not having a pizza puff or some real from <laughs> <laughs> uh, Uncle Remus. And I, I was just. So we just got I just got Harold's on my block, maybe. Oh, you just got it. Okay. Just, yeah, All yeah. Right. I, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I'm not gonna lie. I I was in a I was in denial. Matter of fact, for my birthday, and this is true, you can ask Jordan, uh, one of my sons, you can ask Jordan. They're like, what do you want for your birthday? I bring me some West Side food. I need some. <laughs> <laughs> That's all Frank, I want. You just need to get in the car and drive to the West Side and get you some West Side food. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I go to Mars Hill. So my church is on the West Side. So it's on the West Side. Uh, yeah. yeah, so you can go by Harold's or, um, you know. I had some church chicken withdrawal from that. I had some church chicken. <laughs> but, um, uh, Yes, uh, but wow! So I mean, we, we got to have you back, uh, Amy, at some point. Absolutely, I flies. had so much fun with you guys. Uh, you guys are great. Yes, time definitely flies. Uh, so, David, any uh, final uh, thoughts, final comments for Amy? 
Uh, yeah, real quick, I just want to, so we can have some fun and we stop you're preaching, you're giving us the word and so amazing, <laughs> but who is your, let me, let me tell you mine first. Okay. So my favorite Chicago Bear is Allen Robinson. Who's yours? The Bears? Yes. <laughs> yeah, Bears there, right? I don't watch the Bears. Unless they play in the Patriots or Tampa Bay. Um, oh, God. Don't tell me you're a Tom Brady fan. I'm, I am. That's my man. Don't talk about my man. That's my oh, man right there. My I am the um, biggest Tom Brady fan. I'm telling everybody you. That, everybody that hears that, send all I your, love him. Send all I your, love uh, him. Yeah, send I all your hate him. mail to Amy Williams. <laughs> <laughs> send it. I'm used to it. I'm used to it. Send it. Send oh, it. Because most uh most Cub fans are also Bears fans. So send all don't send your hate mail to me because you all love to uh, me. I don't hate um, the Bears. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I don't I don't really know. That's a good question. I like Who's Justin the new Fields. quarterback that's coming. Justin Fields. I like Justin Fields. Okay, I like him. How about that? That's a good one. Yeah, I know one name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pulling for him. I'm pulling for him. Mm-hmm. In all seriousness, though, we really appreciate you and, and thank you for, you know, taking time out of your schedule to be with us. And, you know, this is some some pretty cold hard facts that people need to understand and deal with and and understand that we're not trying to, you know, be a certain a certain way when we talk about things. We just want it to be level against all vectors, all elements. So everybody needs to understand that. And then, again, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Yes. And uh, so for those that are listening, uh, um, this is a multi-part series. We only usually do shows on Mondays and Fridays, but um, this series we're doing now, um, Cultural Conversations uh, Around Religion and Race, uh, has many parts. We started with the history of the church and gospel music, and we moved on the way through uh, to where we are today with uh, uh, mass incarceration and um, uh, uh, incarcerated youth, and we've had, um, by the way, the professor that we had, Jessica, when she told that story about how she got a, uh, a anonymous evaluation from our students that said, I wish I could hang you in the tree in my yard, <gasps> and all women need to keep their, you know what, in the kitchen with the N-word, I got so many comments and messages about that from people because they were shocked that that is still going on currently um, yep. at a college yep. to a black professor. Yeah. Um, I can see the episode. Uh, that was Jessica, um, uh, Amy. But uh, this is a really interesting session. Uh, I hope that other people can share all parts of it because it really goes together great. Um, go ahead, David. Also, also, uh, I'm sorry. We also have to like point out the fact that you did a, a segment with Pastor Leandre Hill, and that was a great segment. So you guys need to check that out. Also, that was a great podcast. So um, not just saying it because we're on here, but that was a that was an excellent podcast. Yeah, sometimes you got to sometimes you have to stop the sports to talk about what's going on in the real world because it affects all of us. Uh, exactly. So I'm going to give you, uh, Amy, the last words, and then we're going to head on out of here. Yeah, just as a closing statement, my wish for everybody and for our community is that it's less they and them and it's we and us and that we are in this together. Learn your neighbor's story. 
listen to the stories of our young people, speak to somebody, take them out to coffee, hear where they've come from. Stories matter and stories allow us to have more compassion and empathy towards our neighbor. So let's move from they and them to we and us. All right, you all join us on the next episode of the Mistaken Identity Podcast.